I don't want to overlook this. Think about this for a moment. What a privilege it is to be able to gather together and fulfill God's word. And we've done that this morning. And here's how. Think about this for a minute. When we come together and we lift up the name that is above every name, and we honor the name in which one day every knee will bow, we are declaring God's word to be true in our actions. And that is just amazing. When we make much of Jesus, God's word is lived out in us. And I just want to celebrate that. Let's give Jesus a round of applause and glory today. We, we, we can't. We can't ever take that for granted. It's such an amazing blessing to be able to give God glory. These are exciting times. I don't know if you caught wind of it last week. We mentioned this a little bit. Uh, we did three-year planning with the elders and the staff on Sunday and then Monday. We went through a time guided by the Holy Spirit and the Word. And in unity, we developed a three-year plan to continue to fill our vision, to, to give hope to the world through Jesus. And you're going to hear more about that in the weeks to come and the years to come. But we believe that God is going to grow this church. He's going to grow us deeper. He's going to grow us out. And he's going to grow us young. And we're going to see evidence of growing young today as the word of God continues to, to ring true for young people to accept Christ. And you maybe say, well, I'm past the point of growing young. No, you're not the past the point of growing young. We can continue to grow young as a church in so many ways. And I'm excited about that future as well. Would you keep praying for our vision and our plans? Because God's not done with us yet. I was excited about it last week on Saturday, anticipating that time together with the elders and the staff. On Saturday, I was praying a lot. I had some time alone. I was working in the yard doing some reseeding of the grass. Uh, I mowed the ditch. I cleaned out the gutters. I just kind of kept busy, almost just focused on what was to come. It was kind of like making sure you kept busy to help time pass before Christmas. I was looking forward to Sunday and Monday. Part of that day, though, on Saturday, it was just daily night at the house. I have four boys, and they're all teenagers now, which is scary. And then we've got our, our daughter, Daly. She's eight. And Daly and I were hanging out together. Um, I was working in the yard. I would come back in to check on her. Most of that day, she spent in the garage, um, just kind of hanging out. She was playing with her cats. By the way, if you need a kitten, I can hook you up with a cat, okay? But she loves these little cats, and uh, I would check on her, and I'd go back out and keep working. I was praying. One time I went in there. To my surprise, she'd put all the cats back in their, like, cage. It's a, it's a cage that's about three foot tall, and they can kind of crawl up, so we have to put a lid on it. And when they're caged in there, they're literally caged up. I said, Daly, what are you doing, with the, what are you doing in here? She goes, I'm just watching over the cats. And, and that was kind of normal. But what was to really my surprise is she was sitting in one of our lawn chairs right in the middle of the garage, it was a high lawn chair. Her feet weren't even hitting the ground. In her right hand was a juice box. This was a big lawn chair. In her left hand was a bag of chips, a, a box of cookies, and, and a box of crackers. And she was loaded, just sitting there, <laughs> just watching her cat. So I asked her again. I said, Daly, what are you doing? And she didn't miss a beat. She says, I'm sitting on a throne. And I said, Daly, why are you sitting on a throne? She says, because that's what queens and kings do. <laughs> I tell you that. And it's kind of a, a funny story. And we might think that's silly of daily to think she's a queen or king, but I wonder how quickly we make ourselves kings and queens. How quickly we sit back and look over our kingdom. For her that day, it was a bunch of cats, and she was loaded. The only reason she had three different snacks was because Tiffany wasn't home, okay? You know, I wasn't paying enough attention of all that. But she had everything she wanted, and she sat down, and, hey, I'm a queen. I wonder what you've set back and made yourself king or queen of. 
and how ridiculous you and I look when we do that to God. Now, the Word of God uh, talks a lot about this. This is what we're going to focus on today. Do not become prideful. Do not become proud, but, but live a life in humility. I love the way Ben led us through so far today. And we've got one more song I'm super excited about. A reminder that, that Christ is the one who humbled himself. And yet, through that humility, he is glorified. Yet, when we humble ourselves, we too will be lifted up. But what do we do when we lift ourselves up prematurely? The Bible says time and time again to humble yourself before the Lord. Today we're going to wrap up this series guided by this book. This book is, is full of scripture, but it's been a, a good guide for us to get a handle on stewardship because we live in this world of too much. This world that we can surround ourselves with much more than a, a juice box and a bunch of snacks. We surround ourselves with garbage of the world, and then we have so much around us we can't even see who we belong to. The first week we were reminded by Moses to, to be grateful, to show gratitude. Week two, D reminded us to be content. And you can be very content. Some of my most uh, uh, passionate and content-filled days were where there was very little around me. It was just God and I, or maybe my wife and I, or one of the, the kids and myself. But yet we try to fill ourselves with too much at times, and, and D reminded us to be content in Christ. Last week, Gary reminded us to trust him no matter what. And today we're going to dive into God's word and see that we need to be humble. Philippians 2 that Ben already read says, Your attitude should be the same as Christ who humbled himself. I wonder if you've got yourself on a throne today. If you do, this could be a little uncomfortable at times. If you've made yourself king or queen, uh, this may step on your toes a little bit. But this is for all of us that Paul tells us to not think too highly of ourselves. Look back to the text from the first week where it's telling us to remember. But in this text, I want you to look for today this context of not being proud uh, of being careful not to think too much of ourselves. Look what it says. Moses is telling the Israelites before they move into the promised land to be careful. He says, you're going to go in the promised land. And things are going to be so amazing. You've been eating uh, manna and quail, and that's it. For 40 years, there's going to be meat. There's going to be grain. There's going to be bread. You're going to love it. But when you have eaten your fill, be careful. Look what it says. When you have eaten your fill... Be careful. Be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Notice he's reminding from the beginning he's given you this. That is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you may not forget the Lord your God. For when you have become full and prosperous and you have built fine homes and live in them, when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Guys, he's telling these people who have nothing to be careful. What do you think his message for us would be today? Get off your throne. Be careful. Understand this all comes from God. And then in the main text, he would go on to tell them uh, that I've taken you through the desert to test you with manna and quail to prepare you. And he says this, don't become proud at the time you forget the Lord. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. Man, that's a loaded statement right there. It is God who gives you power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. God is saying through Moses, I'm going to do everything you said, and I've let you have success so that your promise will be fulfilled through me. But be careful that you don't forget Beware that you're going to be tempted to become proud. 
When you have big houses, when your herds increase, when your refrigerators are full, when you've got two and a half cars and, and all these things are happening, be careful that you stay humble. But it's hard to stay humble because pride comes so quickly. My daughter is eight and she's attracted to the idea of being a queen. I wonder what you've been distracted by. I wonder why pride has slipped in. In Proverbs 6, God's word says this, that he hates pride. There are seven things in Proverbs 6 that God declares that are despised by him. He lists things like lying and murder. You're like, oh, we know that. But you know at the top of the list of Proverbs 6, the number one thing that God says first that he despises is a prideful heart. Dee reminded me this week, well, uh, Tyson, that's probably because pride and the sin of pride produces all these other things, including murder, sin, adultery, uh, theft. All these things often flow out of pride because we want what we want because we've got to stay on the throne. And God's word says, stop being prideful. Think back to Genesis in the garden, Adam and Eve, they're walking there in paradise and God says, hey, this is all is yours. We're going to be in this perfect relationship. But I'm God and you're not. What I ask of you, the boundary is that you don't partake of this tree, of the tree of, of knowledge uh, that, that has this idea that, that your eyes will be opened. And Satan tempts him. He's like, you're, you're worthy enough. You deserve to know what God knows. And if you know what he knows, you'll be like God. And they consume that from that tree for the purpose of their own gratification. And that pride led to the fall and sin entering into the entire world. And God says time and time again, be careful not to become prideful. In their own arrogance, their pride led to death. Your and I death as well because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what pride does. Look what it says in Proverbs 16. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit or a prideful spirit goes before a fall. I don't know how many of you can relate to this, but that moment you thought you had it all figured out was the moment you got hurt the most. I can remember back whenever I was, I think, 13, uh, I got my first real dirt bike, and man, it was fast, and we had this little uh, 73 wheeler that I thought I'd mastered. I could ride a wheelie all the way across the yard. I could go around the house on two wheels, and in that thing, I almost broke uh, both legs. I severed one of my uh, quadriceps. It was a tragic crash, but I thought I had that thing mastered. Pride goes before a fall. I wonder what you think you've got complete control of. You're, you're on the phone, you're wa- watching your kingdom, and to your surprise, that'll be the thing that brings you to destruction. But Tyson, that's the Old Testament. Proverbs and, and, and Moses speaking of, of the Old Testament, things we should watch our pride for. But look what Jesus says in Mark 7. Jesus tells us from within... Out of our heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, all these terrible things. And then notice what he says, pride and foolishness. All these vile things come from within that defile you. So he says, resist them. Uh, Today we're focusing on resisting pride, uh, but it so quickly affects every aspect of our life. I think, uh, to be honest, the reason this is a part of the the principles that Gary put in the book, if we're honest with ourselves, our pride and our selfish desires have us hold on to money. And and while pride affects every part of our life, it, it greatly affects and deceives us about handling money and our resources. So we have to stay humble. One of the most dangerous things about pride is it leads us to think we're not prideful. Pause for just a second. Think about the most maybe arrogant, prideful person that you know. They often will think they're God's gift to humanity. 
I help everyone. This person who, who often has pride will think they can do anything for everyone. They're just absolutely wonderful. And in that, they have no idea that they are arrogant. I can think of a few politicians, a few movie stars that are like that. That while they do amazing things, they have no idea of their arrogance because they think they're serving us so well. And yet we see the pride all around them. I wonder if we might have a touch of that as well. That we're deceived thinking pride is not a problem for me. In fact, some of you may be thinking now, are we going to have a whole sermon on pride? Because I really don't need it. I'm I'm glad so-and-so is here. I'm really glad D is here listening to this. You know, that may be what you're thinking. I'm, I'm glad my spouse is going to hear this or my kids. I can think of a few other people, but I really don't need this. If that is honestly a thought for you, would you open your heart that you may need to go down this message and hear from God's word about how to become humble? Let me suggest to you to examine your heart. I want to give you three statements that can help evaluate if maybe you're just having a touch of pride at least. Here's statement number one, and consider if this applies to you, maybe you're becoming prideful. You may be becoming prideful if you take everything personally. If everything you hear, if everything you see, if you take it personally, you may become prideful. And some of you are thinking, I don't do that. I don't take anything personal. That's not me. Easy, okay? You may, you may just, in, in essence, be proving the point. Uh, uh, sometimes we have a tendency to, to become defensive about everything, about all things. Someone may ask you an honest question, and you feel like it's a personal attack. If we would raise our hands, most of us would, would say, I've done that. Somebody comes to you with a question they really want to know, and you're like, what are you asking me for? What does it have to do with me? You've made that a prideful thing. They were just looking for help. If you're easily offended, you may become prideful. If you look around in a room and you see people talking and you just know they're talking about you, you may have made everything personal. I want to let you in on a little secret. People care less about you and I than we think. And yet we turn it into a prideful Mindset oftentimes. Number two, if you think you're always the smartest person in the room or you think your answer is always right, you may have a touch of pride. You believe your thoughts and feelings are right regardless of what others say, what others believe. In fact, when you know you're right, it's not enough that you know you're right. You have to let everyone else in the room know you're right, right? Even to the point where it costs you so much. This is one thing I've testified to before. I'm guilty of this at times. Sometimes you just know you're right. I mean, you, you may have just looked something up and you know you're right and everybody else thinks in the room you're wrong and you enjoy just a little too much when you prove you're right. To the point at home sometimes with Tiffany and the kids, maybe I'll know I'm right and, and I will work hard to prove I'm right and at the point that I realize everybody knows I'm right, I've realized that I have been dead wrong because I have hurt those relationships. I've become arrogant. You've become thinking you're smarter than everyone in the room. You know who struggles with this more than most people, or at least half the people, the majority of the people? Men. You know, 51% of the world are women, so that idea that there's someone for everyone is not real. I'm sorry to break the bubble for that. But here's the reality. Men struggle with this dilemma of being right slightly more than women. In fact, a recent survey showed that two out of every five men believe they're a genius. Two out of every five, 40% of men believe they're genius. Do you know what the percentage of actual genius is in the world? About 1%. And yet 40% of men believe they're genius. And some of you guys are still holding, I, I know I am, and you know, I, it's just me. A, a recent survey, though, in a similar way, shared this 
statistic, this reality. And I'm just going to quote it so you won't be mad at me. This is just truth, okay? It says, uh, the recent survey showed that the average woman is smarter than the average man. What do you think about that, guys? It's, it's just true. The average woman is smarter than the average man. Ladies, be careful not to get too haughty or proud about this because here's the rest of the story. The implication is that the average woman is just a little smarter than the average man, but most women are just average. That's what the statistics showed. And here's what it showed, that there was a spectrum of men just had a wider spectrum of intelligence from being extremely stupid to extremely smart, and women are just in between. It's just what the this, this story told. And if you're bothered by this, I may be pushing your pride button. But really, if you're always trying to prove you're right, maybe you really need to realize you're wrong and need to be humble. Because here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 13.10, pride leads to conflict. It does in my house. Does it in yours? Pride leads to fights. Here, that's why uh, James says this in James 4.1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Think about that for a second. What causes fights and quarrels among you? James says this. Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? Don't they come from the things that you think you know are right, the things you think you know you need? We need to be careful not to let that pride divide us in, in fighting and relationship struggles. Here, here's the third one. It's probably the most intense. Uh, if you might be becoming prideful, prideful if you tend to be negative and judgmental instead of positive and grateful. Evaluate your spirit, and if you are constantly negative and judgmental, uh, there, there may be a sense of pride there instead of positive and, gra and grateful, uh, positive and graceful. Some of you wonder why you don't have many friends around anymore. It's because you've spent the last 20 years of life showing everyone the things they've done wrong instead of celebrating what they've done right. And no one's left for you to be around. Some of you online, maybe at home day, and this may hurt. You may feel like, hey, nobody even cares I'm around anymore. You may have spent the last part of your life saying, uh, I'm judging this, I'm judging that. We need to be very careful whether we're here or at home to realize that we need to be humble and build others up rather than always saying, hey, you're wrong here. When people around you feel like that no matter how hard they try, they'll never be good enough to your standards, it hurts. If how you treat people makes them feel like you're too busy uh, to spend time with them, uh, they will finally fade away. Guys, it breaks my heart to the people, the marriages that, that split up, that end up divorced. And what one person says in the marriage is said, I, I spent my whole life up to this point trying to please them and I realized I never could, so I'm stopping to try. I'm not going to try anymore. That condemning and judging spirit will kill marriages. It'll have children stop listening to parents. It makes people leave churches because pastors are prideful. All of those things are possible among us, so we need to be humble. I, I want to share with you, please hear this. I am so thankful, and it is a privilege to be your pastor. And while at, at times it may seem tempting to be full of pride, I want you to know we are all sinners saved by grace and we are moving forward together to be more like Jesus through his word and the Holy Spirit. And in no way, shape, or form does an elder or a pastor or anyone in any position have any pride over anyone else. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Amen. And so when pride slips into our relationships, we need to challenge each other. We're going to see that in the text today. And I want to challenge you today. And you're like Tyson, uh, but you are it as well. I admit I also struggle with this, and we need to work on it together. That's why Peter says this, be like-minded. Be sympathetic. 
Love one another. Be tenderhearted and humble. Hey, I admit I picked these three indicators because these are real for me. My children will attest to those things. If any of them apply to you, I pray that you open your heart to be humble today. One of the greatest areas that pride can affect is directly our relationship with money. Look what, look what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. If you think you got it all figured out, you better pay attention to how it affects you and your money. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. He goes, don't have them consider. He says, this is not something I suggest. He says, you need to command those who are rich right now to not put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. I want you to know this is not just about money. This is about being rich towards people in general with good deeds, with, with sharing of time and, and, and talents. In this way, you will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation in the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. You might well, I'm not rich. This doesn't apply to me. Don't, don't move on too quickly. The word here for rich in the original Greek wasn't the concept of being a one percenter. In that day and age, it was just this idea that you had enough money to be self-sufficient. It, it, it had this idea that you were financially independent. And that's one thing we want to be as Americans. We, we pride ourselves, hear the word there, we pride ourselves saying, well, I've achieved this point, I can take care of myself, I can take care of my family. Paul is talking to us that think in our financial independence that we can take care of ourselves and we may not even need God. And it's a very dangerous place to live. Now, I know some of you are struggling financially, you are not financially independent, but don't forget this thought when it comes to your life. Financial independence by a lot of well-meaning Christians, lead them to the point where they become arrogant, say, I've made it this far, I can handle it from here on out. And as soon as we have that mindset, we get to a point where we think God may not even be necessary. I think it's really dangerous in our culture we live in. I think that's one reason people haven't returned to church. People have figured out, well, we, we, we didn't go to church for a year and a half, maybe two years. Why would we start now? Everything's fine. I've got it under control. We are being deceived that we don't need God, that we don't need each other. And you know what it is? Pride. Around the world, the return to church and return to fellowship and the return to, to help one another has increased uh, more rapidly than it has in the United States because we're independent. You know what we are? We're rich, and we just don't want to admit it. And we're distracted by too much. And we become prideful in that. Moses and Paul are saying, when you've had your fill, when you're living in your fine houses, when, when everything you had has multiplied and you got quite a bit, be careful or you'll become prideful. Some of you are still distracted. You're like, I'm not rich at all. Compared to the world, we are. Did you know that 85% of the world lives in substandard housing? And many of you live in amazing housing. Substandard housing, based on definition, would mean you don't have access to electricity, running water, or like heat, some of the basics. Most of us have those things. 85% of the world does not. We are rich. We're self-sufficient. We can make it through the winter. I've got firewood in the, in the back shed. I've got an extra thing of propane. I can make it. In that sense, we become prideful. I am all for having a plan. But let's remember where it comes from and, and who gave us the resources for that. Do you know that 80% of the world struggles with hunger? Not in the sense that they're starving, but 80% of the world, and this is growing, have a food resource problem. And most of us have more food than we know what to do with today. 
80% of the world does not know if they're going to have enough food to make it through the week. Now, they'll probably find it, but they're always working on it. 80%, we're rich. We fall into this category that Paul's talking about. He says, make sure you're not resting and placing your hope in money, but be generous with it. Put your hope in God. Here's what it says in 1 Timothy 6, based on the message paraphrase. It says this, tell those who are rich in, God, in the world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Stop for just a second. Pause. The word of God has been saying for a long time, money is going to be here one day and gone the next. I've never seen a position in history where money and the flip of it could change overnight like it is today. With our high debt in the world, with things being based so much on electronics, guys, there could be a mix-up in the world. And our money, our investments that we think may be here one day and gone the next, what are you trusting in? God's word has been saying this for 2,000 years. There's going to be a day where God flips everything upside down. Where's your hope going to be in then? And yet we become prideful. We make ourselves kings and queens because of all the stuff around us. It's so easy to be a king or queen when things are good. There was a king I want us to study today as an illustration, King Uzziah. His story is told in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. If you have your Bible and you want to kind of look over this, we're going to kind of do the highlights. It's on page 377 that the story starts. King Uzziah was a really interesting king. He became king at age 16. He's not the youngest king of God's people, the Israelites, but he's, he's one of the youngest kings ever to become king. And you're like, well, that's really cool. Uh, he must have really enjoyed becoming king. I don't think so. You know why he became king at age 16? His dad was assassinated. His grandfather, through a conspiracy, was pushed out of being a king. His great-grandfather was assassinated. So here's this 16-year-old guy being anointed with oil as the next king, and he's got to wonder, when am I going to be assassinated? When is someone going to come for my head? And he could have begun to live in fear. And his kingdom could have been very short. But you know what he does? He begins to be a faithful king. And instead of having natural fear and holding on to his throne, he pursues God. And has a, a reign for 52 years. I want to point out five things that he did really well. And be ready for pride to come into his life though. The first thing the, the word of God says. Look at verse 4. It says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to know he lived to please God. One of the things that we're tempted to do as we sit on our thrones is please ourselves. Feed ourselves. Take care of ourselves. As he set out to be king. The Bible makes it clear that he did what was right. Not in his heart but in God's eyes. He pleased God. I wonder who you try to please. Sometimes maybe your spouse, maybe the kids, maybe your, your pastor. But how many times are you really setting out to please God? I want you to see there was a blessing in this young man's life when he set out to, to do what was right in God's eyes. Secondly, he pursued God. Because you can't just say, I want to please you, God, and then don't look into his word. Uh, don't try to pursue him. He pursued God. Look what it says in verse 5. He set himself to seek God. In the days of Zechariah. Now, who's Zechariah? Think about this. His dad is dead. His grandfather is gone. His great-grandfather's been dead a long time. He has no mentor for his life. He, he's wanting to know how to be king. Uh, most young boys or young men at age 16 uh, don't even know uh, what the next day is going to do. And he's going to be the king of the whole kingdom. He's like, I need to pursue God and I need to seek him. So he put his life around a man named Zechariah. Zechariah was the prophet of the day. Zechariah was a tremendously godly man. Zechariah became Uzziah's mentor 
his discipleship partner. He, in, in the word of God says here in the scriptures that Zechariah helped him fear God. Instead of being prideful, Zechariah says we need to trust God and fear him. And that kept him humble. This sounds a lot like what we call discipleship today. Whether you're being discipled by a parent, a grandparent, an older friend, each of us need to have someone that we're gaining in our lives uh, through God's wisdom like Zechariah. And each of us need to be mentoring someone. I want to challenge if you're 16 years old here today, have a mentor and be mentoring someone. And you'll be blessed. If you're 86, have someone that you're still being mentored by and, and being mentored someone. This is what discipleship is. It's iron sharpening iron. It's helping each other take a step towards Jesus. And a little bit, Callie's going to get baptized. I love the fact she's being mentored by this whole clan up here of people. Who are you mentoring? Who are you being mentored by? Zachariah uh, mentored this young king. I, I want to give you parents a, a chance for discipleship, to, to know how to train your children up in, in discipleship. There's an opportunity for a positive discipleship training through our faith paths. Here, here's a little commercial for it. On Saturday, November 13th from 9 until noon, it's one day, we're going to meet in the Family Life Center. If you have a child specifically from the ages of 2 to 7, because this is where dis discipleship and dis discipline starts. We don't wait till they're 16, guys. If we do, it's too late. Okay? Uh, and, and this is a class to help us discover how to control and overcome wrong and obnoxious behavior and also to encourage good behavior and strengthen our relationships with our children. It's going to be an effective discipleship strategy from God's Word. So I encourage you, if you're connected with a young child that age, make sure you get to that discipleship training. And you will be following the example of this king and Zechariah. He pursued God. We need to do the same. I commend you, parents, to make sure your children are in Sunday school and in youth group things and in a D group. It's important. Thirdly, this young king Uzziah protected God's people. Look what it says in verse 9. He built towers and fortified them. There's other material here, but the bottom line is he made sure God's people were safe. He built towers, and then in the towers, he built watchtowers so they could go out and see if somebody was going to attack. Uh, they, they fortified the walls. Guys, if you are a leader, a man or woman of God, and you have a family or something you're entrusted with, you are expected to protect it. Husbands especially, protect your families. More than anything, spiritually. Uh, will there be times where we stand up physically for our families or we would take up arms for our families? Absolutely. But shame on us when we think the only thing we need to do uh, to protect our families is to make sure uh, that the, the thief doesn't come in and, and steal them. We need to protect them from the devil who's trying to take their life. We have to protect our families. This king protected them by fortifying the defense. Guys, the best way you can protect your family is pray a hedge of protection around them by the Holy Spirit. Protect your families. Protect your wives. Wives, protect your husband in prayer. Uh, protect the elders, a part of the church. This is all bonus material. It's not in the sermon. Protect your elders and the church staff by praying over them. This is Pastor Appreciation Month. You know the best thing we would desire is that you would pray for us for protection. We need to be protecting God's people. That's what this king did. And you know what you are not when you're protecting people? You're not prideful. What a humble position to say, I want to protect them no matter the cost. Fourthly, we see that he provided for God's people. Man, I love this. It's right in the text. Look at verse 10. He had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the, the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. 
What that tells me is he provided for God's people by producing crops, by producing wine, by producing things from the soil. And it says he loved the soil. I think that's interesting. Uh, there are a lot of songs on country radio right now that talk about dirt. Anybody heard any of those songs about dirt? Got to buy some land with 10% down. And there's a new one out about you buying some soil. It's kind of interesting. Guys, that's godly. Uh, the word of God here honors this man that realizes these are the resources that we can have and we need to take care of them to produce for our families, for our nation, for God's people. Shame on us if we are not good stewardships of soil. One of the most basic things that God's given us. I want to celebrate the farmers that have been blessed this year to this point, but we need to continue to pray that they would provide through the gifts they've been given. There's one more thing that I, know, I hope you've noticed they've all started with P. And so I had a little struggle with this one. It's a, it's a little bit of a stretch, but bear with me. Um, he was a great pulist. Okay? Uh, that's a word I didn't even know what it was until this week, but I was looking for words. What that means is he was a great warrior. A pulist is, is a warrior, professional warrior. They are often uh, ready for hand-to-hand combat. I, I don't know if we have the picture of this, but, but there is a, a, this idea that a pulist will often show that they've been in, in battle. Uh, their nose has been broken. They, they've got scars on their face. We need to be people that are ready to be at war, and we are at war, not with physical things so much, but we are at war spiritually, and we need to be ready to step up as a warrior and, and protect God's people. He was a great king that did that. Look what it says in verse 6. He went out and made war. He caught wind that people were going to come against him to overthrow the kingdom, to to take his people into captive. And he says, no, no, you're not. We're going to grow out with our people. And the Bible says he put the Philistines in their place and the Amorites in their place. The Amorites would come to him and just pay him to say, don't attack us anymore. Because he was such a great warrior. He had 307,000 warriors at his disposal. He built that war chest up. Look, this was like an arms race. Look at verse 14 and 15. It said, And Uzziah prepared all of them, the army, with shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, stones for slinging. In Jerusalem he made machines invented by skillful men to put on towers and at the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. This makes me think of he was a designer of catapults that could go further and further. And his fame spread far. They're like, man, this King Uzziah, he's got it together. He's a leader of leaders. He protects, he pursues, he provides. He's a warrior. He was marvelously helped. What do you think that means? Marvelously helped. Sometimes I'm I'm very strongly helped by people, but I think this word marvelously helped is a miraculous word that it means God blessed him and gave him great strength and helped him tremendously. And notice what it says next, till he was strong. And that's not a bad part of the story. This is, all to this point, he was a great king until this point where he became strong and then something happened. Remember in Deuteronomy, it says, and when you're strong, don't become proud. Guess what King Uzziah did when he was strong? He became proud. Look at the next verse, verse 16. But when he was strong, it just said till he was strong, and then it says, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Most say, hey, be very careful. When you're strong, remember God. And yet King Uzziah began to think, man, I did this all by myself. And he became proud. 
And his destruction came quickly. Uh, after he became strong, the next thing the Bible tells us, you can read along later if you want to know the whole story, but the basic detail is, he said, I want to do everything. I, I want to be a part of all, of all of what the kingdom has to offer. So he decided one day to take a censer and, and go in with incense burning and go into the temple. And he was going to burn incense in the temple like the priest always. He said, man, I, I do a lot of things. I want to be like a priest. So he takes the incense in the temple and he's burning it. And the high priest sees him doing it. He's like, don't do it. This is not going to bring honor to God. And he ignores the high priest. He just holds on to that, that incense and he keeps burning it in the temple. And the high priest goes and gets 80 other priests. You can see him in the picture. 80 of God's strongest priests. And he, they come and c- confront the king, which is hard to do. He's the most powerful man. He says, you can't do this. You are not a priest. You're, you're not honoring God at all. You're just prideful in the sense that you're burning the priest. You're burning the incense as a priest and you're a king. The Bible says he became angry. Can you imagine him holding the incense and it burning and 80 of these men are coming against him? And the Bible says he became angry. And at that very moment when his heart was full of pride and anger, leprosy in an instant miraculously came over his whole body, including his face. And everyone knew that he was unclean. It was a direct symbol that God's grace and his blessing was no longer on the king. But because he was holding onto that so tightly, it cost him everything. The rest of the story goes, uh, it's a true story. He, he immediately left the temple. They rushed him out of the kingdom, out to the outer parts of the kingdom, and set him up a house where he was king until he died. The Bible says that another person was, was the uh, commander of the nation while he was still uh, a king. And then when he died, he wasn't even brought into the kingdom to be buried among the other kings. He was kind of buried at the edge. And you know what the people said about him? Look what it says in the text. In verse 23, it says he was remembered because he was the leper. What a tragic story. Instead of a legacy of a builder, a provider, a warrior, his legacy was that he was a leper, that he was dirty, that he was unclean because he wouldn't let go of what God had blessed him with. He wanted to be in control of everything. He wasn't willing to let go of what he wanted to hold on to, no matter the cost, and it cost him everything. I wonder what you're holding on to. Put yourself back in daily seat. Man, you're on a throne right now. You're holding on to maybe not crackers, but cash. Maybe instead of holding on to a juice box, you're holding on to your job. Maybe instead of holding on to uh, to cookies, you're holding on to your career. Whatever it may be, uh, it may be a position. It may be anything that leads you to pride. And you're sitting there on your throne. You're like, this is what I do. I'm a queen. I'm I'm the king of my life. And God's saying, hey, you got to let go of it. And you're like, no. It may cost you everything. I would suggest all of us have something that we need to be willing to let go of to give it to God. And God tests us in this with the tithe. We talked about this last week. It's going to be very quick here. But God says, test me in this and see that if you don't give me, instead of holding on to it for yourself, if you don't give me the first 10% of everything, whether it's, it's resources, time, or, or, or money, if you'll give it to me, I will bless you. But if you hold on to it, there's going to be a consequence. And you're like, I knew you are going to bring that up again. And some of you are frustrated and you're angry right now. Be very careful how angry you become as you hold on to whatever it is you have. Because it may cost you everything. Don't be mad at me, but, but understand this is a challenge from God to say, if you really trust me, if you're really content in me, if you really want to show gratitude, then be humble and quit holding on to stuff that really doesn't matter anyways. 
And every time I've done this, guys, this is a personal experience. When I've let go and, and offered to God what is rightfully his, he blesses me more than I ever have holding on to it. Every time. Let's go back to the text in closing. In 1 Timothy 6, it says this, Command them to do good. It's not just about money. It's about doing good. To be rich in good deeds. To be generous and willing to share. In this way, we'll lay up for ourselves treasures with a firm foundation for the coming age so that we may take hold of life that is truly life. Some of us are literally holding on to this instance that is nothing but smoke. Isn't this so ironic that what he was holding on to was smoke? It was going to vanish anyways in a moment. And he lost everything. And what, what we can hold on to if we let go of our life is life eternal and it's firm. It's a foundation in Christ. I want to ask you today, if you're ready to let go of something, maybe it's part of your life so you can hold on to what's really living in Jesus. Jesus said this, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. That's what the King Jesus did. Ben already talked about it. He says, in Jesus' position as God, he was fully God, he did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, but let it go and became a man and, and allowed himself to be crucified on the cross, even to the point of death. And in, when he let go of that, he claimed life for all of us. But Jesus is saying in much the same way, we've got to let go of our own life and give it to him. Today I've got very good news. Callie Ports is going to do that today. I'm going to invite Tiffany in here. And you're going to be able to witness a person from this young generation accepting God as her Savior and saying, here I am, take me, Lord. So I want to introduce, have Callie and Tiffany come up. And she, Tiffany's going to take her confession. Good morning. Like Tyson said, this is Callie Ports, and she comes today to declare her love for Jesus, and uh, she uh, just wants to live for him for the rest of her life, and uh, she is here with an awesome supportive family and friends uh, to root her on. Uh, so right now, Callie, I would like for you to repeat after me. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And I him and I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior. As my personal Lord and Savior. Awesome. Awesome. That is an example as when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're saying, we're not on the throne. Sure, we're going to be blessed. We're going to be things we hold on to, things we save, things we cherish. But I've given what is most precious to me to you, God, and entrust you with it. That's what Cali just did. And now we got to live it. Maybe today you've realized you did that a long, a long time ago, but you've not been living it. Repent of that attitude. Can you imagine if that, if, that, if that king, Uzziah, would have just been like, hey, here, priest, here you go. I'm backing off to my proper position as king, not as priest as well, that his life in the kingdom would have been blessed. But it cost him everything. And whatever you're holding on to, let it go. Give it to God. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song. Oftentimes during this time, we come to a song that is kind of uh, slow in nature and maybe a little bit um, uh, reflective. But guys, we're going to sing a song right now that is a, a song of declaration. It, it, the main language of the song is, I'm laying myself down. I'm letting go of all that I am so that, God, I trust you to lift me up. As we sing the song, if you need to let go of something, Dee and I would love to pray with you. Maybe just in your, in your life right now, you just say, God, I've been holding on to this. I'm letting it go. And I'm living for you. Whatever it is, let's let it out in a celebration together. Let's, let's sing. Father in heaven, we give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.